In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue to study the letter of St. James. And if you guys remember, uh, we talked about, and so far into introduction, that the author of St. James is the cousin of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we said that he was facing problems that a lot of the Christians at this time, they were facing poverty and persecution. So he was sending them messages because they have internal struggle as they struggle from poverty and persecutions. And also they had external, uh, sorry, they had external, which is persecution. They had internal where people inside the church started to treating each other differently based on the status and based on richness and so on. And we saw last time that St. James said the most important thing we do during tribulation is that we ask God to persevere. Perseverance is what we need. And he said when we are facing tribulation, we are commanded not to blame it on God. I cannot just tell God, why did you do this? It's God's fault. It actually says if you're tempted, do not say that I'm tempted by God because God does not tempt by evil. Now, St. James will continue to talk a little bit about how we should behave in temptation. And last time he said, in our life, we should be not only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Okay? Uh, last time we stopped at verse 22. We're going to start from verse 23. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. If somebody only hears the word and doesn't do it, it's somebody who's observing himself, natural self, in a mirror. What does that mean? At the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, people did not really have mirrors. Okay? It was, it wasn't really, it was not really invented yet. So they used to have like shiny metals and they would look through them and they can see like a small reflection of themselves. And in order for you to see yourself fully, you kind of needed to spend enough time looking at this shiny metal to be able to see who you are fully. So saying those who hear and not do the word are like somebody looking at these metals, these mirrors, okay? And by the way, he says his natural face, he means almost the literal meaning is the contents of his birth. It's like how he was born. What he means here is looking at his original way that God created him. So you're not looking at the masks you have put on over time, how you, have, how you thought people perceive you. You're looking at your true self. So, so if you're a hearer and you're not doer, for he observed himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. So what is St. James saying? He says, if you only listen and don't do anything, you like somebody looking at this mirror for a few seconds and leaves and you will never know who you are and how you look like. You almost lost your identity. What St. James is saying is quite important. It is important to pay attention to the Word of God and spend enough time with the Word of God. Otherwise, I'm looking at it quickly, quickly, quickly and not able to reflect the knowing my true self, the, 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 the part of me 
that God created, the part of me that God wants me to see. Look, and then the rest, it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So he's comparing two people, one who looks quickly and leaves, but the other one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and not forget. And he's not a forgetful hearer, but he actually does it. What's the law of liberty? The law of liberty is actually the gospel of God. Because in it, he gives us the freedom, the gospel of life. Okay, and God said he is the life, he is the light. He is the one who frees us from our sin. If God says to free, you shall be free. So if I spend time hearing the gospel and applying the gospel, then I will be blessed in all what I do. One of the most important words to keep in mind is the word blessed. Obviously, the word blessed does not have a specific outcome beside that the hands of God is in your life and God will guide you according to what he sees fit. So richness can be blessing. Children can be blessing. Career can be blessing. Poverty can be blessing. Whatever God will see fit for you to walk with him and see yourself, know your identity, know who you are. But in a way, Christians are aiming at a much higher standard. They are looking at the law of liberty. And by the way, I love the expression, the law of liberty, when he refers to the gospel, because it means it, it frees me from all the attachment of the world. I'm no longer attached to how people see me, to how my bank account is, to how I look, to how, uh, how what's my social status. I'm, I'm not attached to any of this stuff. I'm attached to my Lord who allows me to see myself. And only this will happen if I spend enough time looking at the gospel and doing the work of God. Then he says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, de but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So here St. James is making an important outcome of who are the true Christians. The true Christians are people who know how to practice self-control. Why does he talk about the tongue? There are many reasons. So why does he talk about it in this context? I want to take you a step back to what does the word religion mean. The word religion, come, it's, a, it's a Greek word. And in that time, people understood religion as purely external acts of worship. So like you attending a fight at the Colosseum is an act of worship. You offering incense is an act of worship. You looking at a statue of an of a idol, it's an act of worship. 
And religion was simply practices. There's no transformation. There's no like no change of the heart. So he's telling them, if you are trying to look at an external sign of what a religion person should look like, he should be able to control his tongue. Look, the expression he uses does not bridle his tongue. Bridle his tongue, it's the same expression that people use to control a wild animal. Because when you want to control an animal, you know, you put some leash around them or whatever it is to control them to see how they move. So when somebody comes and says, you know, whatever on my heart I like to say. And then they, they can hurt people and they can say mean things to people and they can do all these things. If any of you among you thinks they are religious, they must control their tongue. And controlling the tongue doesn't only control the bad things I say, but sometimes learning to be silent is a control of the tongue. Learning to watch, to watch uh, the words I say and become more encouraging and more loving and more kind, that's all practice of the tongue. Quite important. By saying, if you look at an external, if you look at an external way to monitor your religion, it's actually how you control your tongue. Now he talks about also another external way, but this external way is also connected to the internal. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now he starts giving Kida an, a second step, not only the external, but the second step. I do want to say, though, that St. James is not only here, it's not just a summary of what spiritual practices are. This is a big one, a big part of it. Because in the Psalm 68.5 says, God is a father of the fatherless. He's, a, he's a, a, father, a father of the fatherless and a defender of widows. But he's trying to tell us, if you want to be like God, if you look in that mirror, and, which is the gospel, and see yourself very well and see what God wants you to do, then you'll find yourself focus so much on visiting the orphans and the widows and you keep yourself clean from the world, from all the attachments of the world. And that will give you pure religion. There's one thing I want to focus here together quickly. In our culture, people use volunteering and helping other people as a way of, as a way of uh, building your resume, as a way of like, if you're running for a political campaign, as a way of trying to feel good about yourself, as a way of doing all these things. But remember, he's telling you, you have to look at the gospel of liberty. And the gospel of liberty pushes us to do all the work of goodness in secret, not in front of people. And uh, the way that the culture does here, it's almost, remember the verse, and this verse always scares me. It says, those who do their good deeds in front of people, they have received the reward. They have the received the reward. So no longer you have a heavenly reward. I, I, help, the, I help the poor. I, I visit the sick. Yes, but you cared so much about what people say. We'll start together chapter 20, uh, chapter 2, sorry. Chapter 2 actually talks about how true Christianity is seen in its works. And this is chapter focuses on how our faith must be manifested by works and practice. It's very important, okay? And he's going to talk about two important problems that, um, that 
faces the church. The first verse says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. This verse is, is really quite, it seems simple, but so beautiful. Okay? First of all, who wrote this letter? St. James. Who is St. James? He's a cousin of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean, his cousin? It means they grew together. He saw him when he was young. He saw him when he was first grade, second grade, third grade. He saw him playing around. He saw everything. St. James is saying, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's a mind-blowing statement. How can you see somebody growing up with you and say, yes, this is the Lord of glory. Unless his life was full of mystery. Unless, as St. James saw Jesus and reflected on his life, he says, wow, this was not definitely a normal child. And now he says, do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. By the way, the word partiality in Greek means receiving the face. Means receiving the face, it means what? It means like when you see somebody, you judge them based on the way they look. The brand they're wearing, how attractive they are, how rich they might look, that's what you judge them based, based on. So what St. James is saying, there is no discrimination in Christianity. Discrimination is wrong. And he's going to give us many reasons why it's wrong. And St. Paul, if you ask St. Paul in Galatians 3.28, says what? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither a slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. St. Paul said this before the civil rights movement. He said this when slavery was absolutely fine. He said this when households were completely different structure than today. He said we're all one in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no difference. The beautiful thing about St. James is that he's telling us do not treat people with partiality because what? Because do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What does that mean? All glory and all richness comes from God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus lived on earth, he hid his glory. And he spoke to us, and he was humble, and he watched our feet, and he died for us. So he's saying, if our Lord Jesus Christ himself lived this life, held his glory, who in the world receives glory and honor if God himself held his glory and treated us all equally? Our Lord Jesus Christ did not want people to treat him based on how powerful or how many miracles he makes. He wanted people to treat him based on how he will transform them to become like him. It was not a power gap. It was actually God trying to bring people up to him. That's the difference. You know why this is important? Because people in the world tell you, things that are contradicting they say there's no creator we're all born you know we're all made by some sort of evolution okay but then they say discrimination is wrong 
So why this commission is wrong if we're all made from animals? Well, because it just doesn't feel right to treat people differently. Why does it feel right? What's your, what's your reason? Because it hurts people's feelings. Our Lord, when he says, do not discriminate, he says, because this is not my nature. This is not how I created you. And this is what you, what you will not be. This is foreign to you. The reasons that God gives for why we should not discriminate, it's much more compelling than the reasons the world gives. Discrimination is against who God is. He says, for if there, now St. James is going to continue to give, to elaborate, elaborate. He says, for if there is, should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should come also in a poor man in filthy cl clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand here or sit at the footstool. So what is he saying? He says, imagine you're in a church, and just two strangers walk to your church. One wearing rings. Obviously, the word rings usually means some sort of social significance. You remember this from the story of the prodigal son. When he came back, God, his father put the rings on his hands. Or wears golden, uh, uh, or wearing, wears fine apparels. Most likely means he's a, from a Roman upper class. So he's saying that when you see somebody from outside looks this way, you tell them, oh, come sit in that nice place. When a poor person comes, you tell them, sit on the floor. How does this apply to us today? You know, I, I was reading an, an, an article a while ago and says people who tend to be attractive, they tend to receive a much better treatment everywhere than unattractive, when, when people think they are unattractive. There's always part of us where I deal with people with partiality based on how people that I enjoyed my conversation with versus people that I don't. Even though I'm a servant, I must serve this and serve that. So what God is saying is, you will find some people who have social skills that you enjoy conversation with. Some people that might be get a, attractive. Some people that you might feel they could help you with resources. And some don't. Don't treat them with partiality. It's a commandment. And the commandment, by the way, does not extend to the external action. It is to the internal realization that both are the children of God. You know, uh, Julian, one of the, 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 the pagans, emperors, he wrote a letter and he says, I don't know what to do. That's what he says. The Christians are multiplying, and you don't know why they're multiplying. Nothing has contributed to the progress of superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. Impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Isn't that amazing? So how did people grow, with, grow in love with Christianity? That Christians did not only care for their own poor, they even cared for those who are not Christian. We have the very famous story for for one of Shoy Kamil, when he had like a, a guy that used to stand next to the church, and he was a, he was a shoe cleaner, 
And whenever Abuna passes by and sees him not doing well, and the day is not going good, he will go and clean his shoes multiple times to help him financially. That's why St. John Chrysostom said, those who base their lives on greed are the poorest of all. Because when people are greedy, they cannot actually enjoy the richness of God. It's a constant hope of I can get more, and more will give me safety, and more will make me happier, but it never does. And obviously he says, you pay attention to poor, and, and if, if you remember, if you remember, if you remember the, these, these expressions that St. James is using, it's, it's a, you'll find it also in the prayer of St. Mary's, when she said, God will lift the poor and brings down the prideful. It's a common thing throughout the New, the New Testament of how God looks upon the poor with a lot of generosity and graciousness and wants us to treat each other without partiality. Then he says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So he's telling them, when you treat people differently, these behaviors are not compatible with the Christian faith. And you have become double-minded person or soul. Because you have also started judging people and based, treat them based on worldly standard rather than the standard that God has put. So where is your faith then? What kind of faith do you believe in if this is the case? And by the way, the concept of not discriminating is something also in the Old Testament. If you look at Exodus 23 from 1 to 3, it says, You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. You know how awful this is when you have a poor man who has no resources, has nobody to back him up or her up, and then you can come hard on them. And you know if you come hard on them, they are not going to be able to do anything. And this extends, by the way, to bullying in school, to making fun of each other, to talking bad about people, to gossiping about people. It extends to so many areas in our life as Christians. And he's saying there are some people that you know they're not going to be able to defend themselves. When you go hard on them, you are directly in disobedience to what God is saying. Deuteronomy 1.17 says, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. He says, You shall not be afraid of any man's presence. By the way, there are many situations in the scripture where a person, a holy person, or a person who loves God, made a poor decision because he was afraid of somebody next to him. Example of this, St. Peter. When he went to the churches uh, in the, the Gentiles area, he wanted to hang out with the Jews and not hang out with the Gentile. And St. Paul came and told him, you are blamed for what you have done. These issues are here today. St. Peter can fall on them. We can fall on them every day. We deal with people at work every day. We deal with people at the church, with the streets every day, every day. And this is something that's very common. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those whom, who love him? 
So what is he saying? He's saying, don't discriminate because God works more with the poor. God works more with the poor. Why? Because a lot of times the rich is not able to recognize their need for God. And you could see the difference, for example, between people living in the West and people living in Africa and these poor nations because they can depend on God even for rain, even for breakfast. I remember we went to somebody's house, read the Bible. He was so happy. He said, I've been praying, asking God to send me his word. And finally, the guys came and shared his word with me. But for us, we feel the Bible is under my control. I can open it anytime. For him, even hearing the word of God seemed like a direct intervention from God in his life. By the way, that does not mean the rich will not enter heaven. But the rich, the, the poor, are more ready to depend on God. And the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, most of them were very poor. All of them were very poor. Even St. Paul, who considered to be rich later on, he lived a poor life. But a bit, another definition for poor, this is what our Lord Jesus Christ said on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poverty here is the person who feels they don't deserve, they're humble. And that's the people that God works with them the most. St. Mary was known for her humility. That's why she was a chosen person. Same thing for us. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich, the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. What is he saying here? If you guys remember in the book of Acts, the Jews used to have these like small courts everywhere. And almost like the supreme court for them was in Jerusalem. So think about this. Keep, keep, keep focus with me. Everywhere you go, there's a synagogue. Okay? And if you don't follow the Jewish law, you can be kicked out of the synagogue. That's the punishment you have. That's your excommunication. So there's courts all over the world, known world at this time, of judging people and telling people, well, you can be part of the synagogue, you be out of the synagogue. And being out of the synagogue is a big thing because it's not only you're kicked out of the church, you're kicked out of your community. Sometimes people are not going to go buy food from you. Your business is going to go down. It's like a really big problem. It's not just a religious problem. It has also social consequences. So it seems like the rich were most likely are the ones who are in charge of these courts. And these rich people used to be very aggressive and very harsh with the people. They would drag, it says drag you, like remember the story of St. Paul when they dragged him? From the te in the temple in Jerusalem in Acts 21. And this is also what they have done with our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? You know, like th this passage reminds me of what? When you have a high school kid who wants to hang out with the popular kids who bully him or her all the time. Dude, why do you want to hang out with them? They bully you. They treat you bad. Find other group. No, but I like them. Why do you like them? Because they're popular. But they treat you bad. What benefit do you get from them? 
Okay, so you get almost no benefit from them, but you want to hang out with them because you feel like there's some sort of satisfaction that you get out from this. But he's saying, look at look at the people that you're trying to honor and treat them with great respect. How do they treat you? A lot of times the poor will treat you with so much respect and they're willing to give what they have, the little they have. The rich tend to be even what? Sometimes less willing to give or difficult to deal with. And then he says, Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Wow. So what is he saying? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a St. James is wonderful. Remember, at the beginning of Christianity, a lot of the Christians were still kind of hanging out around the synagogues area. Like even St. Peter and St. James, the first thing they have done after, after the Pentecost, they went to the temple to pray the Psalms. St. Paul, when he came back to Rome, like a few years later, 10, 15 years later, he won't go back to the temple to pray. So initially, as Christian, Christianity was being born, a lot of Christians used to hang out around the synagogues. So he's telling them, aren't those rich and noble people this is in James, and we're going to see how it applies to us. Blaspheme that name which you are called. By that time, the name Christians was becoming famous. This is the name that Christians were called in Antioch. But the Jews did not like Christianity. But now in their synagogues all over, they have Christians and they have Jews. So then when somebody comes and they know they are Christian, they tell them they blaspheme. The word, the word blaspheme means it's almost like they, they dishonor that name that you depend on. It's almost like they're trying to break you. you know, if you have somebody who's, who's very poor, but all what they hold on is their faith to God. And you come and you try to break that faith that they depend on. Don't act all religious on me. This is not a big deal. Do you think this is going to take you to heaven? You think you're better than everybody else? I try to break down what the bones that they depend on. By telling them those people that come and lead the courts and do all these things, don't they do the same thing? Why is this important? Because every community, I don't want to say every community, but many communities have what we call communal sin. A sin that we all participate in. One of the youth the other day told me, Abuna, I think our sin is that we think we're self-righteous. We think that we are what? We're righteous. Anybody that comes from outside, we feel like we're better than them. We're there to try to teach them about God and show them this and show them that and do this and do that. And there's a sense of like, I have... I have righteousness and they don't. And maybe more of humility is required from us as we reach out to people outside the church because we don't know how God sees every person. Maybe they don't know as much, but their heart and their soul is with God much stronger than us, much stronger than us.
So God is saying discrimination is sin in Christianity. To discriminate, it's a sinful act. St. James is saying this very long, long So I, why you shouldn't discriminate? Because this is what God wants you to be. He wants you to be his image. And why don't you discriminate? Because these are opposite decisions of what God would make. And why shouldn't you discriminate? Because actually, the people that you discriminate against most likely tend to treat you nicer than the people you're trying to please. This is what St. James is saying. And he's saying, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well. What is the royal law? Most likely here, he is talking about the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments that were given in the Old Testament. Which is, he says, if you want to fulfill the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you will do well. You know, this is, by the way, this is a little interesting. Think about this verse for a little bit. He's saying, you should, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So he's not only saying, do not have partiality, but imagine yourself as a poor person and as a person who's rich. If you're poor, you want people to be even more compassionate, more giving to you. So in a way, this passage is saying, if you want to love people as yourself, you'll find yourself even more compassionate toward the poor than the rich. It's not only you're just treating people the same, but you're actually going even an extra mile toward those who are in need than the ones who are not in need. And this is, by the way, the same idea that we have a lot throughout the scripture in Romans and Galatians. We're talking about how if you fulfill the commandments of love, you have fulfilled all the commandments. He says uh, here, for example, in, uh, in, 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 in the letters of Paul, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there any other commandments are all summed in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of law. So basically, anytime I am jealous, I'm envious, I'm talking bad about people, I'm gossiping, I don't have love. That's the reality. And sometimes we like to sugarcoat it and say, I love everybody. But this person is annoying. Or this person is this. You know, it's the irony of the statements we make sometimes. He says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgression. See, if you show partiality, if you discriminate, you commit sin. Very clear. Discrimination is sinful based on anything except the fact that people are walking with God. You can't discriminate based on anything. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So he's saying here, if people, you know, this is something that 
people used to teach at this time. Some people say, you know, I, um, some rabbis will say, you know, if you try to, some commandments, uh, some commandments are not as important as others. Like, for example, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was so important. Maybe, like, disrespecting parents, they wouldn't put it in the same level as a Sabbath. So as James is saying, he says, no, if you are stumbling in one aspect of the law, you're guilty of all. Why is this significant? Because sometimes I don't face the fact internally that I'm actually discriminating against people. And he's saying, well, if you think it's not a big deal, you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. And that's an important, an important problem. It's an important problem. It said, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So here he's making, he says, he says, if you only follow one aspect of the law and not the other, you've become guilty of the whole law. And you know, it's beautiful how he says, do not commit adultery and do not murder. Because he's almost saying some people would put adultery at a higher sin than discriminating against people. So he's almost equating discrimination with murder. Those who says, do not commit adultery, says do not murder. And by the way, this is what the Jews did against our Lord Jesus Christ. The leaders of the Jews, they killed him out of envy, out of strife. So their envy, their jealousy, the fact they wanted to protect themselves and their status and all that stuff led them to commit murder against, uh, against, against our Lord. Some of the rabbis made like a mistake that they would sometime represent in many matters a sin was not a sin or in small matters that a law was not a law and that even when it was a sin or a law a man could run a, uh, like a short of they would say if you do more good deeds the good deeds will balance the evil deeds so it's almost like it's almost God is holding an account if you do something bad then you do a few good things and the bad things will go away that's how a lot of the rabbis taught and what St. James is saying, no, this is not the way it works. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Somebody says, Abuna, I'm a good person. I tithe and I, uh, I go to church on Sunday and I do all this stuff. But I just don't like, you know, certain group of people. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. I'm walking with the direction with God. I cannot pick and choose what to do and what not to do. I'm following the commandments of God. I'm following the commandments of God. We're going to stop here today. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.